0: Welcome to igniting your faith. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Uh, Reflecting on this, April sent me an article this week and described a survey that was taken recently of religious activity in, in many parts of the world. And COVID has pushed down religious activity and faith in a lot of places, trust in God. And uh, as the people of the survey were interviewing different countries, different responses to, to the pandemic, what they saw was that a lot of people had sort of a a nominal faith, faith in name only, the kind of faith that's like, God, when I need you, I'm going to come to you and ask for help. But, but otherwise, you and I are good with you over there and me over here. And uh, with the crises and pressure and stresses of the pandemic not going away, um, that kind of God's not answering my prayers type of faith uh, has started to disappear in a lot of people. They've given up, they feel like their prayers are bouncing off of heaven, and um, so a religious activity and trust in God is declining in some places. But in other places, there are people who have a different kind of relationship with God. It's not a relationship based on the, the changeableness of circumstances around them, it's based on their relationship with Him, and their trust of Him. And so for them, they've held on to faith despite the circumstances because they trust God's overarching judgment. They trust that he's God and they're not. And that whatever happens, he's going to be with them and faithful through it. And so those people are holding on to faith and growing uh, despite the, the crises of the time. And if you think about it, every age has its crises, Right. Every time has challenges in which, and actually this is true of parts of our lives too. I can think back in my own childhood when my idea of God was kind of a Santa Claus-ish idea that I would go to him with requests for things I wanted. And if it didn't really work out the way I wanted, I was really like not too happy about that. And then I'm sort of thinking, well, Santa Claus, are you there? Right? anybody identify with that? Uh, and I can't say that I knew God very well. Didn't understand his character, uh, or his nature, or his promises, or his faithfulness, or his presence. Um, those things came later, and you think about the two different stories of God calling the people to enter the promised land today. And they're kind of like those two different versions of faith. Now, the first one, the people had just come out of Egypt. They've seen God's mighty hand do amazing things. They've seen fire and smoke and pillar of cloud, his visible presence accompanying them through these dramatic uh, rescues. And then on Mount Sinai, uh, they've seen some supernatural provision, manna from heaven, quail from the sea, uh, water from the rock. And they've seen uh, Moses representing him and setting them free from their oppressors in Egypt with all these miraculous plagues and deliverance. But they get to the edge of the promised land and they're faced with a challenge of these giants in the land, these big cities with these people who seem to be, have it together with, you know, their tough demeanor and their warlike attitude and, and actual physical giants. When, they, when you read the story, it talks about Nephilim and Anakim. Those were the ancient uh, Jewish words, Hebrew words for giants who are half God, half man because they were so large and so intimidating, they thought they must be offspring of divine beings. And so they were especially terrifying to uh, the Israelites. And they look at those people, they look at the big cities, they look at the, the situation, and they're scared. And God has told them, you're going to go in, I'm giving you, I'm fulfilling the promises I made to your ancestors 400 some years ago, the land is yours. Caleb and Joshua have the vision, they have the trust in God that it's going to happen because God is with them and he's not with their enemies. Their protection is gone, but the people don't see that. They can't see the truth because they don't trust God. They don't know God. All that he's done is outside of them. They don't have this inner experience of trusting and faith in him. And so they shrink back from embracing the promises of this wonderful, awesome place that God's ready to give them. They're like, nope, we're not going in. In fact, here's, if you read on further in their story, they say, let's stone Moses and his uh, fellow leaders and let's pick new people who will lead us back to Egypt. That's how much they chickened out that they were ready to go back to slavery, to the wretched, miserable condition of slavery, rather than face their fears. Why? Because they didn't trust God. They didn't trust God. It's really that simple. They had their idea of what God should be and do for them, and you see them grumbling and complaining and him answering those little needs, but all the while, they're not really seeing, this is the God of the universe, the God who put these stars into place, who put this earth into place, who made me with all the wonder and uh, amazingness of my nature, and he's on my side. He's called me to be to his side. They're not seeing that. And that's why God says he was not pleased with them, and their bodies fell in the wilderness. He said, you don't want to go in? Fine, you won't go in. And that's why they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until all those people who wouldn't trust him die out. But their children, the ones they were scared for, those people in there will kill our children, it'll be so bad. Those children grow up and they learn the lessons their parents didn't. They learn to trust God. And it's not always easy. Sometimes it's through suffering and hardship. Sometimes it's through tough times and judgments. Uh, Sometimes it's through punishment for sin and uh, the appearance of the consequences of sin. But they learn. They learn and and they see God's hand with them. And then they start to have these little battles. If you read through the 40 years, you'll see there's a bunch of battles they face. And each time when they do it God's way, they're victorious. And their battles get bigger and bigger and they're victorious. And and Joshua's the leader in, in these battles. He's the general. And so Moses is the, the, so you could call it community civil leader, or Joshua is the military general. They learn that God is with them and rescues them over and over and makes them triumphant so that when they get to the edge of the Jordan, the second time, it's the uh, 11th month of the 40th year God tells Moses, it's time for you to die. And he calls him to go up on a mountain where he dies and his body is buried somewhere by the Lord in In a valley, and and nobody knows where. In the New Testament, we're told that an angel wrestled. The angel Michael wrestled with the devil for who was going to get Moses' body. You can guess who won. Right? Moses shows up to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration some 1,400 years later. Where was I? Too many rabbit trails. Help me, Jesus. Moses dies. And then the Lord says, Joshua, you're the leader now. They mourn for Moses 30 days. And then God says to Joshua, take my people across the Jordan and start to conquer the promised land. And that first sign of the Jordan River stopping, that it's upward flow bunching up in a heap and they name the town where it takes place and the people going across on dry land, you know that all those 40 years, their parents had talked about the wonders of the Lord, including the parting of the Red Sea as a sign of God's presence and blessing with them. And those parents were probably lamenting, we missed all that God had for us, but he's promised to give it to you because you're going to trust him. We shrank back and didn't, and we missed it. But now you're going to get it. And when they saw those waters bunched up in a heap, as the priests set foot in the the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, it says that they held Joshua in awe. The, The awe that they had held Moses in transferred to Joshua. Now, Joshua represents someone. His name means God saves. In the New Testament, Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua, and that means God saves. That's right. Joshua is a type of Jesus. He's the one who can lead us over into the promised land, into all that God has for us all the conquests of the enemies and giants that are going to face us in life, the hardships, the suffering, the difficulties that are going to face us in life. Jesus is the real fulfillment of Joshua, the commander of the Lord who became incarnate as one of us to lead us to victory, to pay for sin, so to pay for unbelief, for that our failures our shrinking back, our doubts, our lack of knowing God. Listen, folks, you can't really even know God until you come into Jesus. Because when you're in Christ, he reconnects us to God. But he asks one thing, God asks one thing, trust my son. Trust my son, and you'll be connected to me. That's that's it, really. We put our faith in, in, in Jesus. That's what faith is all about. It means trust. And in trust, you learn to trust somebody, right? To do what they say because they're trustworthy. That's what those children learned those 40 years as they wandered around God is trustworthy. And when he says we're gonna be victorious, we will be victorious. And they saw it in action. So this time when Joshua leads them across, they're ready to do whatever God says through Joshua, including the ridiculous thing of walking around a city you're gonna try to defeat for seven days. Now, that's not human wisdom, to, to lay siege to a mighty, powerful city and expect it to fall. But that's God's wisdom. God's wisdom is mighty to save, mighty to throw down strongholds and to conquer all the forces of the enemy. When we're in the new Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, we get that authority. We get that power. We get the promise of having those promises fulfilled that we will defeat our spiritual enemies. And there are spiritual enemies out there. There's giants. There's giants who are ruling this land. There are spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places that have people captured inside their fortresses who can't even see who Jesus is or accept the gospel because the devil's blinded their eyes, who are frozen in their sins, and so their sins work themselves out in their lives in all kinds of destructive and self-rejecting behavior that's not love, that's contrary to love, and it's destroying them. They're like the, 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 the uh, slaves of the Canaanites out there held captive by the forces of darkness. And what has God given us is the promises of the promised land, that we're going to plunder the treasures of darkness. That's what he's called his people to do, that in Jesus we get to go out and proclaim the good news that sets people free, that throws down those strongholds. Because it says Jesus, by his death on the cross, humiliated all the spiritual forces of wickedness, defeating them by his death. And he's given us authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Now, all this comes to us as believers because we trust in Jesus. Not just to get what we want when times are good so that we can live our own selfish, self-interested, and and, 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 uh, self-oriented lives. No. That's that first kind of faith that's disappearing in a lot of people here in the pandemic well, God is not my errand boy. He's not taking care of me, and so I'm turning my back on him, right? But there's a whole other group of people who are like, you know what, God, whatever happens, whether I live or die, it's okay, because you're God and I'm not, and I trust you. And if I suffer, my suffering's gonna be taken up in glory, and it'll be even more glory for me when I get to stand beside you. So I'm gonna commit myself to you, whether I'm living or dying, whether I'm sick, or in health, whether uh, times around me or outside of me are, are, are tough or they're easy, because you're with me, and that's enough. And where I'm gonna go is guaranteed, the promised land. You said you'd never leave me or forsake me, I believe that, it's settled. We're good to go, We're, where are you taking me? All right, that kind of faith is not disappearing during this pandemic. That's the kind of faith among those who trust in Jesus that's growing. And he calls each of us to have that kind of faith. Now, I I want to uh, just close by reminding you of the book of Job. If you read the book of Job, it's a guy who suffers. It's near the middle of the Bible. If you're going through a tough time, it's a good book for you. Because he faces a lot of things that are just horrible. Family death, terrible illness, loss of property and finances, just a lot of loss, suffering terrible suffering. The beginning of the book, he's complaining about that. This isn't fair. Why is this happening? God, you know, I've been trying to live a good life. Why'd you let this happen to me? It's all this conversation of dismay at the suffering he's going through. But here's the thing about Job. He doesn't turn his back on God. He keeps the conversation with him going. He keeps wrestling with him. He doesn't curse him or walk away from him. He fights with God to try to come to terms with what's going on with him. And by the end of the book, God shows up. And here's his answer to Job in Job's suffering. He says, are you God? Are you? Did you make the Pleiades and all those amazing stars you see up there? Did you design these amazing creatures that you see walking around on the earth? Did you put together yourself in the secret place of your mother's womb? Are you the designer and and, and creator of the universe that you should judge me? And by the end of this conversation, Job is on his face on the ground saying, I repent in dust and ashes, you are God and I am not. And he utterly trusts himself to God. And his suffering is relieved at that point. And God makes the latter part of his life more blessed than the first part. Which if you read the first part, you see he was blessed. But he was more blessed at the end. And that's the difference of the faith between the first folks who weren't really trusting fully in God yet and the second group of folks getting ready to go into the promised land who had said, now we know God and we trust him and he's trustworthy. And if he says we're going to conquer and he says their protection is gone, then that's the truth and we will conquer. And that's what they did, they conquered. So brothers and sisters, the invitation to us today is to repent of that easy, self-centered, God is my errand boy type of faith. And let go of that. And say, God, I want to know the real you for who you are on your terms. When the commander of the army of the Lord, when Joshua asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? The commander didn't say, oh, I'm for you. He said, neither. The question is, are you for me? Are you for me? Have you made me Lord? And when Joshua falls on his face before the commander of the army of the Lord, you see that he is recognizing and has made the Lord his Lord. When Jesus is your Lord, not when He's your errand boy, but when He's your Lord, then things will go well for you. Then you're going to conquer. See, that's the secret it's trust and surrender. Have you trusted Him? Have you surrendered to Him? Have you said, Lord, you know what? I've been running my life, it's not going so well. Trying to be my own God. It's not working out so well. My feet are clay. My life isn't so good. The giants are defeating me. I'm sick of that. I want you to be Lord. I surrender to you. You be the commander of my life. I'll go where you follow, and then I will be victorious because I'll be in your battles that you win. I want to remind us what Hebrews says the passage that Ruth read. By the way, Ruth, you really. You really uh, rocked with the the name pronunciations. (laughs) Where are you? Raise your hand. There you are. Okay. That was good. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, that's describing being allowed to come into the very presence of God because... Of faith in Jesus not because of how good we've been not because of our ability to keep the law we're sinners we need a sacrifice on our behalf we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body that's the living way that we come to God Jesus sacrifice of his own body And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let's not give, let's consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day when the Lord returns. Now, remember, I'm going to skip a little bit. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You hear those echoes? The promises of God? For just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Think about those folks who shrank back that first time when they were commanded to go in the promised land, and they said, no, nope, no, nope, we're not doing it. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Amen? Let's be like those little children. The next generation of the Israelites who saw the works of the Lord and trusted and committed themselves to God and lived in victory. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher, this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.